to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. As we have been the last couple of weeks, today we're going to continue our sermon series on the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9 in just a moment. But as I most often do, I want to ask you a question to get you thinking along the lines of where God's going to lead us today. And that question is this, who are you? Now, the first thing that probably comes to your mind, unless you think it's a trick question, is your name. And that certainly is who you are. And it represents you. I'm Tim. You're whoever you are. But who are you as far as other kinds of roles or what other kind of words would you use as an identifier of who you are? It could have to do with relationship, okay? Uh, and, and that can be multiple. You know, I look at my life, I say, I am a man, I am a husband, I am a son, a grandson, I am a father, I'm a grandfather, I am a friend, you know, all kinds of relationships, and each of us would have various roles that we play in relationship with one another. We don't talk about it much here, but we could say, well, I'm a Republican, or I'm a Democrat, or I'm an Independent, or I don't want to be any of those because they're all such a mess, which would certainly be a truthful statement. We could talk about our nationality. I'm an American, you know. Some of you can say, I'm a Jamaican, I'm a Bayesian, I'm a Honduran. You know, whatever it is that you're... And some of you are offended because I didn't mention your country. I probably shouldn't have gotten started. You could say your occupation, what it is or what it was, you know. I'm an electrician, I'm a plumber, I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm a CPA. Whatever those... CNA, well, CPA is one too. You know, whatever that might be. There's a lot of different ways that we identify ourselves. But as far as the spiritual realm is concerned, what word or words would you use to describe yourself as far as a spiritual being, as far as your beliefs, your relationships within a spiritual framework? There might be some that would say, well, I'm an atheist. And if you're here today and you're an atheist or you're watching online, there must be a very specific reason why that'd be so. And I'd just say, we love you. And even though you don't believe in him, God loves you too. And the fact that you may be watching this or listening to this, the very reason may be because God's reaching out to you. And I encourage you that even though you might claim to not believe in God, to be open to him speaking to you. And that would go not only for an atheist, but for an agnostic. Basically is, I don't know if there's a God or not. And that may be some of you. I'm not really sure. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe that's why you're watching. Maybe that's why you're listening. And I would just say to you, seek to find out. Because that's a very, one of the most important questions. Is there really a God? Did he really express himself in the Bible? Is what that says true or not? It's a whole lot more important than saying, you know, is there somebody on the other side of the world that I might ever have a relationship with? Because that really doesn't matter one way or the other. But if there's really a God, that's significantly important. Most people who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ would say, I am a Christian. How many of you say, well, that's what I would describe myself. I'm a Christian. About four or five of you. Well, good. I hope God really speaks to the rest of you today. I know you all just say, I'm too tired to put my hand up. 
I'm a Christian. And, and that's a good word. It's an accurate word. Unfortunately, today, just saying you're a Christian could mean any number of things. It could mean, well, I go to church, whether you have a commitment to God and Christ or not. It could mean, I was raised in a Christian home. I don't even go to church or anything, but I guess because I was raised in a Christian. My mama's a Christian. My grandma's a Christian. That's great to have that kind of heritage, but that doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. It's an old, old, old saying. You've probably heard it before, that just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage makes you a car. And it's really interesting, just a little trivia fact, that the title Christian is only found in the Bible, I think, three times. And two times it's used by people who don't even believe in God to describe people who do believe in God. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the title. It's a great title. But you know what term is used over and over and over again in God's Word to describe what we would think of as a Christian? Someone truly committed to Christ is a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus. A word that was used back then that we use a little bit now is disciple. And they mean the same thing. A follower of Jesus. We see in the story of Jesus, as we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke, that there are people that Jesus called to follow him and to become disciples. There were others that came to him and said, hey, I want to follow you. I want to be a disciple. Others said... I want to be a part of what you're doing and who you are. So being a follower of Jesus is, is a very significant concept, and I, I want to talk about that today. The title of my message is Choose to Follow Jesus. Choose to Follow Jesus. And that's going to be the focus of our passage today. Many of you may remember, or at least recognize it when I read it to you, that our church, Marion Oaks Assembly of God, has a vision statement. We've got a very important statement on racial reconciliation and equality and justice and all that kind of stuff. But we also have a mission statement. And our mission statement is this, that Marion Oaks Assembly of God exists to help people change into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. When it comes down to it, that's our number one goal. Everything we do, everything we say should somehow be connected to that idea and help us in that process. Say, well, what's that got to do with fellowships and things like that? Fellowships are us building relationships and we help each other become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And it comes from the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples. So that's our goal. To be, to become, to help each other become more and more because I don't know about you, I haven't reached perfection in that area yet. Okay? Become more of a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to take a look at the passage we're at in Luke's chapter 9 to see what it really means to be a follower of Jesus and hopefully be challenged in a positive way, to be encouraged to be the best follower of Jesus that I can be. So as we get ready to read in Luke chapter 9, the background to this text is what we talked about last week. Some of you weren't here or weren't watching. Some of you were here and you're just like, well, what did he talk about last week? And that's fine. A lot's happened between now and then. So real quickly, just saying that Jesus was praying, his disciples came, he began to talk to them. He says, who do the crowd say that I am? Wanted to do like I did at the beginning of my sermon, to get them thinking. 
And they said, oh, maybe Elijah, maybe John the Baptist raised from the dead, some other prophet, whatever. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, as the spokesperson for the group, said, you are the Christ of God. And as we mentioned last week, Christ is not Jesus' last name, it's a title. It's the same thing as Messiah. It literally means the anointed one. The one that God had spoken about through his prophets in the Old Testament and a lot of things pointing up to the one that he was going to send to make everything that is wrong right. To take care of the sin problem. To bring back all the good stuff that God created this world for. And in the Jewish understanding of that, they focused on the positive side of that. And they took the promises of God, very accurate promises that God was going to send a warrior conquering king in the line of David who would get rid of all injustice and inequality, would conquer all the enemies and set up God's kingdom and bring in a place of peace, prosperity, and fulfillment. Something we all yearn for. So the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah. And so when Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah of God, that's what's in the disciples' minds. And when Jesus basically kind of, it doesn't say he said, yeah, you're right, but he let them know that that was right. I can imagine what's going through their minds. Yes, yes, Jesus, eventually he's going to kick the Romans out. He's going to set up God's kingdom and we're going to have peace and prosperity. And then as you see so many times in the story of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the disciples with such a pure heart began to argue with each other about who's going to be the most important in God's kingdom. Who's going to sit at this right hand, which is the primary place of power and authority? Who's going to sit at this left hand? Who's going to be over all the other ones? Because that's what they've got in mind. Yes, God's going to intervene and he has chosen us to be part of that. That's what's going through their mind. When Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. But the problem is that that's not the role or the part of being a Messiah that Jesus came to earth to fulfill then. He will fulfill that role. Jesus is coming back. And he will fulfill all those things that have been said of him in the Old Testament. All those things I just described. He is a descendant of David. He is God himself come in the flesh, gone back to heaven. But he is coming back as the conquering warrior king to rid the world of all evil, all sin, to right every wrong, to get rid of injustice and inequality, to establish God's kingdom in a very real physical way, and to lead us into eternity, which will be a time of peace and prosperity and fulfillment. But when he came to earth the first time, almost 2,000 years ago, that was not the part of the role he came to fulfill. You see, there was two parts to the role. As we talked about last week, there was another part, another part that had been talked about in the Old Testament throughout the Psalms and especially Isaiah, this one who would come who would be the suffering servant. The one who would come from God to accomplish great things, to deal with the sin issue, but it would require his suffering and if you could had eyes to see it, even his death. And that's what he came to do. And so when Peter said, yes, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ of God, Jesus said, don't tell anybody. And that's exactly why. Because all these people couldn't wait to find out who the Messiah is so they could crown him king. And that's not what needed to happen. He wanted to be able to continue his ministry of teaching and preaching. He would heal and do miracles to meet people's needs. But the primary focus was to tell people about the kingdom of God that was going to come. And they wouldn't understand until it happened, but that that was going to come about because he was going to die for their sins. So he says, don't tell anybody. 
to try to force me to become a king. And they did a couple of times said, we need to make him king, we need to make him king. He says, go away, go away. And that's where we pick up the story here. In Luke chapter 9, I know I've got down verse 22, but let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 21 because that's what I just talked about. It says, and Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus just lays it out there. He says, I didn't come to be that kind of Messiah. I got a role of suffering to go through first. And this is the first of three times in Luke over the period of a couple of months to a year that Jesus reminds them, this is, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. This is going to happen. And the disciples had this idea so firmly fixed in their heads about this conquering warrior king that they just didn't get it. They kept on arguing and discussing about who's going to be the greatest. So Jesus kept reminding them. But the thing is, is that Jesus not only tells them that he's going to have to suffer, but he launches into what it means to follow him. And he says, basically, because I'm going to suffer and the the response that the world's going to have to that, you may very well have to suffer too. Are you willing to do that? Are you ready to do that? And can I tell you that he says the same thing to us today? You see, being a follower of Jesus is a wonderful thing because knowing him as our Savior and serving him as Lord means that our sins are forgiven and we have an eternity with God, our Father. But it doesn't mean that everything's going to be hunky-dory and wonderful in this life. Life is still going to be difficult just because we live in a difficult world. And we live in a world that is in the grip of a lot of sin and a lot of evil. And just because we're followers of Jesus doesn't mean that we're exempt from that. And in certain circumstances, because we're followers of Jesus, we may even have to face more difficulty than people who are not followers of Jesus. You might say, that sounds really depressing and pessimistic. If that's the case, why would I want to follow Jesus? Well, I'm going to deal with that question before we get to the end, but not quite yet. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people today and have been all through history who whether honestly and sincerely or through a deviousness love to focus on the positive aspects of being a follower of Jesus. And I would just say to you, be very, very careful of preachers and teachers that only want to tell you the good without telling you about the difficulty. There are plenty of people out there, and I think that probably one of the reasons why people might be drawn to do this, besides the fact they may be used by the enemy to draw people the wrong direction. I'm certainly not trying to say that anybody that does this is being used by the enemy. Please understand that. There are some good-hearted people, okay, uh, love Jesus, that for they just like preaching and teaching on the positive a whole lot more than the negative. They'll talk about the blessings of being a child of God. They'll talk about the fact how God wants to bring victory in your life over everything you might face. All those things are true. There's some that take it a little bit too far and say, God wants every believer to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. God does, but it may take eternity for us to get fully there. There are those who would say, God wants every believer to be in perfect health. For, you, know, you know, you should never have to deal with sickness or, or discomfort or pain. 
You know, God wants you to have whatever you want to have. Again, these are some really extremes. There's a lot of truth in there, but they don't want to talk about sin. They want to, don't want to talk about the fact that if you've got sin in your life and you're not dealing with it, you need to deal with it and you need to repent of it because it's going to bring about some kind of death in you. It's going to hold back the blessings that God does want you to have and it's going to cause you not to be effective in the Christian life. They don't want to talk about the fact that there is pain and suffering in this world and we as believers sometimes go through that we do deal with health issues. We do deal with other problems. Our cars do break down. You know, if your car broke down, say, I must not be a very good Christian. It has nothing to do with whether you're a good Christian or not. That's life. So again, I just really encourage you. Be careful. Be careful about teachers, preachers who only talk about what you want to hear. In fact, Paul talked about it almost 2,000 years ago. He says, throughout the time we're waiting for Jesus to come back, there'll be plenty of people that will tell you just what you want to hear. And some of them, not all of them, some of them are being used by the enemy to try to draw you away from God. Again, I know that this has not been the most positive thing I've started out with, but it'll get there. So, what does it really mean to follow Jesus, okay? Well, I think we're going to look to the expert today to see what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus himself. What does that really mean? What is required? It hasn't changed. Look at verse 29, I mean 23. And Jesus said to all, notice he said to all, not just the 12. So as we look at this today, we say, oh, that was the way it was for the disciples back then, for those that were fully, you know, fully committed and used and leading the church. This is for all believers, all followers. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There are some other things that Jesus said about people that choose to follow him, but this is the core. This is the main thing that you see repeated over and over and over again. There are three things that Jesus said, if we really want to follow him, and and notice this is a choice. He's not trying to force him. He said, if anybody would, if anybody would, if you choose to make that decision, if you choose to go that direction, this is what's required. This is what it's going to be like. This is what you're going to experience. The first thing he says is you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? Well, to deny means to say no. So to deny yourself means to say no to yourself. And this is something we do all the time. Some of us more often than not. I mean, some of us more often than others and some of us more effectively than others. But anytime we do something that we don't want to do, we're denying ourselves. When our alarm goes off in the morning and it's time to get up and we don't want to, what we do anyway, we're denying ourselves. When we're sitting before that meal and we've really enjoyed it and we want to eat some more, but we know that's not going to be the most healthy thing for us or it's not, doesn't fit in with our diet or lifestyle, whatever, and we say, nope, I'm stopping right here or I'm not going to have that and I'm not going to have this, we're denying ourselves. So we know what it means to deny ourselves. It means to say no to ourselves for something that we want. Now, you know, there are people... And we are all tempted and we all to some degree live with wanting to say yes to ourselves, right? How many times have we been in that situation? You know, where it's like, I really shouldn't do that. Oh, but I want to. I really shouldn't eat that, but oh, but so I'm just going to have a little bit and a little bit more, you know? I mean, we we all battle that whole thing, right? 
So we're, we understand the idea of denying ourselves, and sometimes we do it for really significant, important areas of life. Like I said, lifestyle issues for our health, relationships. We have that person who's important to us, our spouse, our kids, our whoever it is, and it's like, well, I really would like to do that, but you know what? That's not what's best for that other person. Friendships. So you know what? I'm going to deny myself and we're going to do the other thing because that's what's better for them or that's what's better for us or our family. And that's really what God calls husbands to do is he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That basically means you've got to be willing to deny yourself and say, hey, it's not about you. It's about your wife. It's about your family. No matter what you want, you as a leader of your home, I don't know why I feel like I'm preaching to men here. I'm not going to be preaching Father's Day. So this is my Father's Day, many, many, many serving God calls us to do what's best for our marriage and what's best for our family, no matter what we want. There's my mini Father's Day sermon. But that's what it is all about to deny ourselves. We, we do it for athletics. We do it for any other hard thing, to build a career, to do well in what we devote our lives to. We say no to ourselves. But what does Jesus mean about being a follower? In what way do we deny ourselves? In what way do we say no to ourselves by being a follower of Jesus? And what it comes down to is a very simple statement, and that is that I will say no to myself and yes to Jesus. I will say no to myself and yes to Jesus. I will say no to myself and yes to God. If there is a conflict of any sort, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever, between what I want and what Jesus says is best for me, and can I just reassure you that whatever Jesus says, whatever God says is best for us, he knows We don't always agree. We don't always feel that way. But God knows the big picture and he knows what he's doing in and through us. And not only right at this moment, but everything he's done leading up to this and what he's going to take us to. And he does know what is best for us. He knows what's best for us in our relationships. He knows what's best for us in our sexuality. He knows what's best for us in the way we handle money and things. He knows what's best for us. And so denying myself in the context of following Jesus means... If there's a conflict in any area of life between what Jesus or God says and what I want, I'm going to say no to myself and yes to Jesus or yes to God. You know, we often live as if we think my way is better than God's way. Many of us say, oh, I would never believe that, but we live that way sometimes. Anytime we disobey God. Anytime we go a different direction than what God guides us and leads us or outright instructs us to do, we're basically saying, I know better than you, God. We'd never say that out loud. Afraid we'd be struck dead with lightning or something. But that's basically what we're saying. But the disciple says, God, I know what I know and I feel what I feel, but I'm going to trust that you know what's best. So if there's a conflict between what I want and what you want, I'm going to say no to myself, and I'm going to say yes to you. A lot of examples, it means, I mentioned saying no to sin. And no to what God says is sin, not just what we want to be sin, or we think is sin, or our culture says is sin. It's what God says to be sin. We say no to sin. We say no to the temptation to do what everyone else does, in spite of what God says about it. No to follow the lead of our culture. And yes to God. But denying ourselves also may mean saying yes to some things. 
In other words, I'm going to say yes to, I want to spend time, and I need to spend time with God every day, but it's hard to work out the time and the place and to devote that effort, and sometimes I don't feel like it, but you know what? I'm going to say no to myself, and I'm going to say yes to God. Yeah, I'm going to build that relationship. I'm going to spend time with Him every day. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to read God's Word every day. Being with God's people in a setting like this or a a men's uh, group on Thursday morning, a women's group on Tuesday morning, two little advertisements there. The Sunday school class that meets on phone on Sunday morning. Being with God's people. Oh, but I don't feel like being a part of that today. I don't don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like tuning in today. You know, but I'm going to say no to myself and I'm going to say yes to what God says is good for me. To build relationship with him and with others. I already kind of alluded to this husband-wife situation, but in relationships, to be willing to say, I know what I want, but you know what? I'm in relationship with this other person, this coworker, this friend at school, my spouse, my kids, whatever. I am going to do whatever is best for them. That doesn't mean you do exactly what they want because sometimes they don't want what's best for them either. But that's okay, I'm going to put somebody else above myself. I'm going to put somebody else's needs and desires above my own if it's appropriate and I want to just say no to myself and, and yes to what's best for them. Telling people about Jesus when God opens the door is scary. It's, it's hard to do. We're concerned about the response. And, but it's, you know what? I'm going to say no to myself, this desire to protect myself from, from ridicule, to desire to protect myself from feeling they don't like me anymore, or they're going to make fun of me, or they think less of me. I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to say yes to the Holy Spirit and, 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 and take that opportunity to talk about Jesus when I can, to offer to pray for people, to, to do whatever I can. So there's so many practical ways to do that, but that's what it means to deny myself. When there's a difference, when there's a conflict, no to myself and yes to Jesus. The second thing he says is to take up your cross. Take up your cross. Now, when we think of a cross today, we know what the, the symbol is, you know, and some people do the sign of the cross. And, and uh, how many of you, just, just for fun, how many of you are wearing a piece of jewelry today? I'm not going to make fun of you and there's nothing wrong with it, so don't be afraid. How many of you today are wearing a piece of jewelry that, that involves a cross? Lots of hands. Lots of hands. So we think of it as a symbol. It is a symbol. We think of it as a piece of art. We see lots of artwork, especially in churches and whatever that surround the idea of the cross. Um, there's used as a decoration, jewelry, people get tattoos, all that kind of stuff. And, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with using a cross in that way. But can I tell you that if you're thinking that that means that I'm fulfilling the thing that Jesus wants me to carry my cross... Bear in mind, that's not what that means. I heard somebody say years ago, and it was so long ago, I can't remember who it was, but they said, Jesus didn't call us to wear the cross, he called us to bear the cross. That wasn't from me, that was from somebody else. But nothing wrong with wearing the cross, but that's not what Jesus called us to do. He didn't call us to wear the cross, he called us to bear the cross. Now, sometimes we go through life and we face difficulty and say, well, that's just my cross to bear, and that may be true. But sometimes we face a health issue, we have a diagnosis of cancer. I mean, some of them are very, very serious. And especially if it's long-lasting over time, say, well, that just must be the cross that God is calling me to bear. Sometimes people think that about a person. Don't point. That person being in my life and I can't get away, that's just the cross I've got to bear. (laughs) 
some other problem, but that's not what Jesus means either. That's not what Jesus means either. I mean, that's part of the life of difficulty that we may have to deal as being part of a disciple, but what then does it mean to be willing to bear the cross, to take up the cross? Well, you have to understand the cross from Jesus and the disciples' viewpoint. We look at it as a piece of jewelry. Thank God for the cross because Jesus died on it to pay the price for our sins. But at that day and age, the cross was the most horrific, torturous way to deliberately inflict tremendous amounts of pain with the end result being death. There is no account or evidence of anybody surviving a cross. And it was meant not to just cause physical extreme pain, but extended pain. And it was also done only to the worst of criminals because it was meant to be a deterrent to others who would be a criminal or who would be a revolutionary or or revolt against Rome, same thing, you know. And it was heaped up with a bunch of abuse and shame to Jesus and to the to the, to the disciples. The cross was an instrument of torture and death. A condemned criminal would carry either the whole cross or the cross beam. Maybe you've seen movies of Jesus where he's carrying the cross through the streets. Sometimes it's the whole cross. Sometimes it's the cross beam. It seems like it's more likely that it was just the cross beam. They would keep the main thing up on the hill, but sometimes people carried the whole cross. But they'd have to carry this beam through the streets. And that was deliberate. They didn't load them up in a wagon and take them up there, even though it was going to be really painful anyway. It was meant to shame them. It was meant to humiliate them. And they would get the crowds together, and they would let them know what they'd done, and and all that kind of stuff. And the the mobs that were there would be yelling and screaming and antagonistic and spitting and throwing and humiliating as they carried that cross. It meant shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, pain, and death. We'll say, how do we live that out? Does that mean that for every single person that chooses to follow Jesus, they're going to be crucified? No. I mean, that method of punishment and and execution is not even used today for the most part. There may be somewhere in the world they use it. But he says that needs to be something you think about as far as symbolic of what you're willing to what you might be willing, what, not, what, what you would be willing to go through if it came to it, to follow me. So, so to make it really, really simple in a way we can understand, it means I will follow Jesus no matter what the cost. And you know what? For the disciples, it very well could mean crucifixion. Church history and tradition tells us that Peter was crucified along with his wife. I can't imagine what it would be like to be crucified, but to be crucified right next to your wife, I can't even begin to imagine. All of the disciples, as far as what we know, what we can know from church history and tradition, except for John, suffered a horrific death because they were followers of Jesus. And John, they tried to kill him several times, but he just kept surviving. God kept him around until much, much later. You know, sometimes it can be hard being a follower. I don't know if you've ever had that thought. Man, it's hard being a Christian. It's hard being a follower of Jesus. I'll be honest with you. There's times I've thought that through my life. But you know, for us, it's nothing compared to what it has been for many believers throughout history and in many parts of the world. 
But the thing is, is that Jesus doesn't ask us to make it harder. He's not saying that if you really want to follow me, you've got to do whatever you can to make your life difficult because you're a follower of Jesus. He's just saying that if you're going to follow me, are you willing to face and put up with whatever it does cost you? Talked just a moment ago about how sometimes we don't share our faith because we're afraid we may be rejected or thought less of or whatever. That's nothing compared to what many followers of Jesus face every day. And to be honest with you, it kind of makes me feel ashamed if I ever really entertain that kind of a thought. What are you willing to face? What are you willing to go through? What pain, what difficulty? Not necessarily even physically, but relationally or whatever. Are you willing to put up? It's because you're going to follow Jesus. Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, you've got to be willing. Whatever the cost may be. For us, it's more of an internal thing of fighting our flesh. If I'm going to be a believer, I've got to say no. Going back to the deny myself, I've got to be willing to say no to some things and yes to some things. That's part of it. You know, I've got to be willing to put up with ridicule and persecution. And persecution in our culture at this time, you know, it's been very light. It may just be ridicule or, or ostracism. I knew if I started to say that word, I'd get it wrong. Anyway, <laughs> you know, somebody may cut us off as a friend or even as a family member or whatever. Or treat us differently. But I will tell you what, it's harder to be a believer in even our own society today than it used to be. And if things continue the direction they are, it's going to get harder and harder and harder. So this is something very serious we need to consider. Will I still follow Jesus and do it in the way I'm supposed to by being open and honest about it? Not in your face, not arrogant. But am I willing to be identified with Jesus? Even as our culture gets more and more ungodly, unless there's some great revival and it changes, it's going to continue to get more and more ungodly. And you just got to read, you can read the news any day now and see where people are making fun of Christians because of the stand they're taking about a lot of stuff that's going on in our culture about sexuality and genderism and all that kind of stuff. It's going to get more difficult. Are we still willing to follow him, take a stand for him? So we deny ourselves, we bear our cross. The third thing is follow Jesus, which really kind of just wraps it all up. Follow it up. He says, follow me. You must follow me. Now, this does not mean that you go searching Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube, Snapchat, and WhatsApp for Jesus' profile so you can follow him. Jesus doesn't have a profile on any social media. If you come across one that says it's Jesus, I can guarantee you it's not really him. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. As I said earlier, that's the definition of a disciple. A disciple is a follower. And a disciple, a follower, was a learner. It was one who would see a rabbi or a teacher, just in a generic definition, and say, this is a man. It was primarily men back then. This is a man that I admire. Not just what they know, but I admire their character, I admire their lifestyle, and I want to be exactly like them, and I want to know what they know. And so a student, a learner, a disciple would attach themselves to that rabbi so that they could learn as much as they possibly could. Again, not just knowledge, but how to live life and become like them. And that whole concept is exactly what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus is God, come in the flesh. We choose to be his follower because we want to be like him. Because we want to understand things from his perspective. We want to have the same kind of character. We want to have the same kind of lifestyle. Two things specifically I just want to mention real quickly. If we're going to do this, I will follow Jesus' teachings. 
I'll listen to what he has to say throughout his word, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey. We don't like that obedience word, but I'm going to obey. I'm going to do it. Whatever he tells me to do personally, I'm going to do it. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the story goes, the rains came and nothing could shake that house. We're all sitting here listening and hearing the word, but what are you going to do with it? Because if all you do is hear it, but you don't do anything about it, it really doesn't do a lot of good for you. Not just here today, but anytime we encounter God's word and God's speaking to us. So I will follow Jesus' teachings. The second thing is, I will follow Jesus' example. I want to become like him. I want to live like he lived. I want to love people like he loved people. I want to... And it's hard. I want to forgive people like Jesus forgave people, even the people that nailed him to the cross. I want to serve God wholeheartedly, 100%. I want to follow his example, become like him. I didn't put it in my notes, so it's not going to come up on the screen, but Paul says in Romans, God says through Paul in Romans, that that's one of the things God has predestined us to be, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's why John wrote in 1 John 2, 6, whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And, and the idea of walking is a, is, a, is, a def, is a description of a lifestyle. He said, if you really want to follow Jesus, if you really claim to be a believer, then you need to live the way Jesus lived. Follow his example. Sometimes it's kind of hard to see. We see it in the Gospels and stuff, but... It's easier if we had some other human, Jesus was human, but I mean somebody who wasn't God and human. And so God allowed that to be part of the process too. He, he had Paul write, listen, follow me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul wasn't being arrogant. He was just saying, hey, I'm really trying to follow Jesus. And to the degree that you see that I'm following Jesus, follow my example. And can I tell you that, you know, our main goal is to learn as much as we can about Jesus and live like he did. But in areas where it's difficult, it's like, well, how would Jesus treat his wife? He didn't have a wife. Contrary to some weird ideas that have been floated out there every once in a while. Find some other godly man or woman and see what they do. Maybe even talk to them about it. And as long as it lines up with God's word, they can be helpful as someone to help you follow Jesus. Well, that brings me back to that question that we said that many of us might ask, and that is, why follow Jesus? In light of the difficulty, in light of the suffering I may end up facing, in light of the sacrifice, the possible rejection, who knows what our world's going to turn, possible actual physical pain, why should I follow Jesus? I've never thought about this this way before. I don't know if God caused me to go this direction or not. He might have. If not, that's fine. But I got to thinking about what Jesus is really saying here. And if you take Jesus totally out of the picture, take God totally out of the picture, take anything spiritual and religious totally out of the picture, which type of person would you want to be close to and in your life and related to? Someone who is totally and completely self Focused, who absolutely refuse to do anything that would inconvenience them and they're all about themselves and they don't want to do anything difficult 
please don't say you already have some people in your life like that that you're close to. Or someone who's unselfish. They care about themselves and they they like to do their own thing. But you know what? Whenever you're with them, they're always more concerned about you than themselves. They always want what's best for you. They are willing to do what they know is right no matter what it's going to cost them and no matter how difficult it's going to be. Which of those two types of people would you want to have as your closest friends and be in relationship with? So I didn't even mention God or Jesus in that at all. But that's really the ideas that Jesus is getting across too. You know, unless there's probably something a little bit wrong with us, it's the second type that we all want to be in relationship with, right? Which type of person do you want to be? Hopefully the same type person. You know, sin causes people... To be drawn to that, be that first type of person. That's why it's sin and evil is so prevalent in this world. And it really comes down to people just using, it's going to be about me and I'm first and what I want. And, and, and I don't want to bother myself and I'm not going to sacrifice or whatever unless I have to. And the more types of those kind of people that there are in the world, and there's growing to be more and more and more of them because we are so self-focused, the worse and worse things get. But even apart from God, and thank God we're not apart from God, and this world is not apart from God. But where you see people that are choosing to do what is right, to do what is good, no matter how difficult, and to look out for other people, that's where you see good flourishing. But where you really see good flourishing is when God is the reason why. So I would say to you, even though it's not the main point in this passage, that the main reason we should follow Jesus is because that's the best way to be the best person we can be and make a tremendous impact and difference in our world and the world around us. But even more importantly, because our world is not without God and our life is not without God, but because we want to follow Jesus who not only came to make this world better and to make our lives better, but to save us from sin and to deal with the sin problem. Let's take a look at verses 24 and 25. Jesus says, after, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Just quick thought. What Jesus is saying here, if we make ourselves first priority, we'll lose everything of significance. If you're married or you get married or whatever, and you make yourself first and you live for yourself rather than your spouse, you may get your way, you may have this, that, and the other, but you will not have the fullness and everything else that God intended for marriage. The satisfaction, the fulfillment, all that kind of stuff. If we make ourselves first priority, we'll lose everything of significance. And just like that illustration of marriage, that same thing is true of life. We can gain all kinds of stuff in life. We can amass money, we can amass pleasures, we can amass relationships, we can amass things, we can have the best house, the best car, the best boat, we can afford to do anything and everything we want, but if that is the total focus of our life, we will lose out eternally. And there have been many that have testified that could do that, that say, I still wasn't satisfied, because God didn't create us to be satisfied with those kind of things, but only in Him. And the eternal consequences of those who deny Christ and live only for themselves will be far worse than any negative they were afraid of by serving Christ. Persecution, rejection, or whatever it was. 
and any advantage that they would gain in this life will mean nothing in eternity. That's why Jesus said, whoever would save his life, live it for himself, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's the second thought. If we make Jesus first priority, we'll receive everything of significance. We'll have eternal life forever with God. But not only that, but he makes this life so much better. Now again, that's true. But it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean we're going to avoid all hardship and difficulty. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. But he will be with us in this life and he'll bring good out of it. As we like to talk about He'll bring to us all that we're really looking for. When people go after stuff and conquests in relationship, what are they looking for? They're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for fulfillment. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for personal significance. Jesus gives us all those things. He gives us all those things. I want to tell you something. Some of the most miserable people I've ever known or heard about are people who lived for themselves. They may have been rich, they may have had this, they may have had that, whatever, they may have accomplished this, but they were miserable. But yet some of the most satisfied people, the most peaceful people I've ever known are people that were followers of Jesus. They may not have had the latest, greatest, biggest, best. They may have had to do without or whatever, but they surrendered themselves fully to Jesus Christ and lived to please him, and they had peace, and they had joy, and they had satisfying relationships. The last thing in this passages, and this is harsh, but it's the truth. If we deny Jesus, he'll deny us. It's not a vindictive, judgmental thing. It's just that if you won't make the commitment to live for me, when it comes time for judgment, you won't have lived for me. Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I, Every once in a while, I share with you a pet peeve. Um, if you've been around long enough, you know that crazy drivers are one of my pet peeves. <laughs> Another one of my pet peeves is, you know, when I get an email or more often on social media like Facebook or something like that, I see something like this. It says, if you love Jesus, you will forward this. If you don't forward it, you must not love him. Remember what Jesus said, whoever's ashamed of me, and finish quoting that. I tell you what, that, that's manipulative. And to be honest with you, it cheapens what it means to be committed to Christ. And whether you forward that or not has absolutely nothing to do with whether you're ashamed of Jesus. Can I tell you what? In my mind, I always reply, if you love Jesus, follow him. If you love Jesus, live for him. If you love Jesus, obey him. If you forward all that kind of stuff and you don't live for him, it means nothing. That doesn't mean what, that isn't what it means to stand up for Christ. The last verse we read, I think I read it, but it's the last verse in our text. It's verse 27. Jesus says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Just got to deal with that real quick before we can start wrapping this up. And it's like, what does that mean? Some of the people standing there will actually see the kingdom of God, the glory. You know, what does that apply to? And I'll be honest with you. The Bible scholars don't know 100% for sure other than the fact that Jesus said it, it's true. And there's a number of things it could be referring to and absolutely true. Most Bible scholars, and I happen to believe the same thing, that he's talking about what's going to happen next in the chapter where he's going to take Peter, James, and John up on a mountainside. And he's going to be transfigured. They're going to see him in all his glory. I think that's what Jesus is pointing to here. But other Bible scholars could say, say that it could be talking about that the glory of God is going to be brought about because of his crucifixion and his resurrection. Or the glory of God that is released into the world as the kingdom goes forth after the day of Pentecost. All those things could possibly be true. 
We'll deal with that some more next week when we start talking about the transfiguration. But I just wanted to kind of get that out of the way. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, it's not one of those things that you just pray about and you're changed like that and you go out and do it perfectly. It's choices we have to make every day. And I'm going to wrap it up with that. But I'll tell you what, it comes down to a lot to what we pray about. And so I just want to give you four things to pray about, okay, that'll help you with this. If you choose to accept, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. Because he said, if you would, come after me. You've got to make the choice. Let me give you some things to pray about. First of all, Lord, help me to know your will. Because if it's all about saying no to myself, yes to him, doing what he wants me to do, no matter what it costs, I need to know what he wants me to do. 95% of God's will is in his word. Study his word. Search it out. Learn it. Live it. But pray, Lord, help me to know your will. Second thing, Lord, help me to want to do your will. How many of you know sometimes you know what the right thing is to do, but you don't want to do it? That's all of us. To be honest with you, that's all of us several times a day. So, Lord, help me to want to do your will. Paul wrote about in Romans 7, there's times I know what the right thing is to do, and I don't want to do it. I don't even do it. And I know it's wrong, and I find myself doing it because I've got this sinful flesh inside of me battling against the Spirit of God. So, Lord, help me to want to do your will. And the third one falls out of that, flows out of that. Lord, help me to do your will even when I don't want to. It requires a decision. We have to do it. The good news is that you can do it. It requires God's help. There are some things that you won't be able to do without God's help, but God will give you the help you need to do whatever he asks you to do. So depend on it. Do your part and he'll do his. And the fourth and last thing is, Lord, help me to do your will no matter what it costs. You know, sometimes we can live for him up to a point, but then it starts getting too difficult. So, Lord, it's getting more difficult. It's getting more difficult. But, Lord, help me to do it anyway. Help me to live for you. Help me to live for you. Help me to live for you. Again, it's a decision. It's a determination. And that's one of the most important things about us being together is we've got people to stand with. There's so many reasons we need each other, but this is one of them. We can help each other through the difficult times. We can help each other live for Jesus and stand for Jesus, even when and especially when it gets difficult difficult the closing thought is this following Jesus is a daily choice it's not something you just say a prayer about and then God does some kind of miraculous shift in your life and now you've got it right you're good to go it's a daily choice that's why Jesus said in this in verse 23 take up his cross daily you've got to do this every day today's a new day maybe you did a great job of following Jesus last week doesn't guarantee you're going to do a great job this next week. You need to keep leaning on him. Maybe you did not such a good job last week following Jesus. The good news is, is that God loves you. If you involve sin, you repent, he'll forgive you. You got a new shot. He'll help you this week to follow him. Follow him daily. Daily saying no to myself and yes to Jesus. Daily choosing God's will no matter what the cost. Daily surrendering my life and myself and all that I have for God's purposes. And today, I hope that God has been speaking to your heart to challenge you and to encourage you to live your life for Jesus, to truly be a follower, to not just claim to be a Christian because you've got that background, that culture, that that environment when you grew up or because you go to church or whatever, because I am going to follow Jesus. Before we go to prayer, I just have to say this, that the first step in following Jesus is to put your trust in him as your Savior. And to make him your Lord. 
The Bible says that we are all sinners separated from God. Our sin, this chasm, this wall, this barrier between us and God, there's nothing we can do about it. And the wages of sin is death, which is not just physical death, but spiritual death and separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why Jesus came and why he walked that road of suffering. Why he carried his cross in a way that probably none of us will ever be called to do. And he was willing to do that and he didn't even deserve it because he lived the perfect life. But in God's economy, the way God worked it all out, the way his plan is that because Jesus did that, God himself coming to die a death he did not deserve, his death paid the price for our sins. So if we turn to him and put our faith in him, we believe in him, we put our trust in him and say, God, I am a sinner separated from you. Please forgive me. Not because of who I am, what I can do or whatever, but because Jesus died to pay the price for my sins. I repent of my sins. Forgive me. Come into my life. Help me to follow you. Help me to live for you. The Bible says God will forgive us. He'll forgive you. Come into your life. As you trust in him, he'll help you to live and learn and grow and be that follower of Jesus Christ. And that's the most important way you can apply what we've talked about today. But for those of us that have already done that, I think it's certainly appropriate for us to say, Jesus, I want to follow you to the best of my ability. So let's all stand together. And here's what we're going to do. Our worship team is going to lead us in an old chorus. The words will be on the screen, but most of you probably don't even need it. Some of you may be so new and contemporary, you've never heard this. We'll just pretend it's a new song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. We're going to sing the first verse through one time. And during that time, if you're here today and you want to surrender your life to Christ, you need a Savior. I'm going to ask you to come down. You say, oh, but that's hard. May seem like it. Each of us who've done that have done something similar. But we want to take a stand for Jesus. If you can't take a stand and respond to Jesus in the midst of a bunch of people that love you and would love nothing more than to see you come to know Jesus like they know you, how in the world will you stand for him out in the world? And if you were to come today, they'd be the ones that say, yes, thank you, Jesus. So we're going to think, sing it through. And I'm just going to open it up and give you that opportunity that as we sing it through the first time, if you need Jesus, I want you to come down here to meet him. Let's sing it through and then we'll come back and say something else. I have decided to follow All right, well, you say, I dodged that bullet. God was dealing with my heart, but I didn't go down. It's not too late, but I want to change it just a little bit. We're going to sing through this chorus again for a couple of moments, the different verses. But if you, like me, would say, Lord, I'm trying hard to be a good follower, but I just want to follow you more completely. I want to invite you to come down here, all of us together that are willing to respond, to just join together, to sing this song, to say, God, I want to, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be the best disciple I can possibly be. So let's sing it through. Hallelujah. Pastor Nate's going to come and close our service in prayer. But before, as he comes, before he does, he's had to serve double duty in the back because of people that were out today. I just want to pray for all of us that God will help us to really live for him. And that the result of that will mean a difference in our world. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And we thank you that when we choose to follow you, 
Your word says that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. You give us the strength that we need, Lord God, to do that effectively, to love you and to serve you, and that your presence in our life makes a difference in our world. So, Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, that, Lord, people would see Jesus in us. And, Lord, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Nate, I was going to have you close in prayer. Here he comes. He was serving in the back. Pastor Nate, pray for us today. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We pray that as we leave this place, that as we go beyond these four walls, as we go out onto the field to save lives, to reach lives, to minister, to share the gospel, pray, Lord, we pray that you will go before us, that you would be around us, beside us, behind us. Father God, we pray that your mercies and glory would just shine on each and one of our faces. And now unto him who is able to keep us from falling, presented faultless unto the wise. Forevermore, and we all say amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.